This is Chronic Victory Podcast number 16. I'm David Mantha, your host, where I say, take with you what you can use, leave the rest behind. That is to say, if there's an idea or something that you get from this, anything you can take away, implement into your life, do that. Everything else, leave it. Today, I have with me a retired Navy Lieutenant Commander. He was on the USS Enterprise for part of his career. He's essentially, well, he he was part of Top Gun. I'll let him say that part, but um, he was a fighter pilot. Yeah, just a cool dude, and and I'm glad he's here with me today. He is the legendary Steve McCaslin. How are you doing, Steve? Well, I'm doing great. That's uh, quite the introduction there. Thank you very much. Yeah, I was going to say something else, but probably not podcast appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're uh, we're trying out the Zoom for as far as interviewing goes. So I hopefully the quality is good enough. It sounds good to me. Um, I would listen to it, and uh, this guy isn't boring. So <laughs> hence why he's here. Just another reason. But yeah, um, go, why don't you tell us a bit of your background? I, I probably butchered some of that, but I know you were a lieutenant commander. You're now retired, and you do business consulting. Well, uh, so I went to college um, after high school thought I was going to become a veterinarian. I blew that the first quarter with my GPA. So I studied chickens. In fact, one day in an interview, a guy said, tell me about yourself. I said, I studied chickens, flew jets, sold software, sell people. And, and he asked me, what does that mean? I said, it just means that I can, I learn things. I, I can do anything. It doesn't matter what it is. I can do it. I'll just have to learn it. And uh, so I went into the, I got my degree in agriculture, went with poultry science was my major. So I studied chickens and went into that industry for about 15, almost 18 months. And all my life, I knew I was going to go military, but I avoided it. Um, my um, father died after he retired, but it was, uh, it was a condition that should have been caught while he was in the military. And mm-hmm. so I was sort of stiff-armed. But I, was at, uh, I, I was 14 when he passed, and I sort of stiff-armed it a little bit. Like, no, to heck with you, military. I'm not not going to do it. Even though in my heart, I knew that was my calling. That's what I was going to do. And so I got out of college and all my, a couple of my buddies and roommates, uh, ROTC went in the military and I was working in the chicken field. And then one day I, it, it just, I said, you know, this is what I got to do. So I went in and, um, they got guy asked me if I wanted to fly and I said, well, okay, yeah, sure. And so next thing I know, I'm in Pensacola, Florida, going through aviation officer candidate school, get commissioned and uh, February of 1982, um, went through training command, got my wings January of... You mean uh, 2002, right? Nope, 1982. <laughs> <laughs> I just found you. And immature, so immature, maturity-wise, 2002 is even too old. <laughs> nice. But, so, but I, but 82, then January of 83, I got my wings. And then they sent me up to where I live right now, up in uh, Woodby Island, Washington, um, to fly in the A6 Intruder. And so I was a bombardier navigator in the A6 Intruder and did that for a career, uh, about, I don't know, 3,200 or so hours, just a little over that, and had a great tour. Did um, five cruises or what people that aren't familiar with it would call overseas deployments where we'd go away for six, seven months at a time. So I, I did that for a whole career and uh, they shut down the A6 in 1997 and the squadron I was in was shut down early, which created a, a series of events which enabled me to retire at a 17-year point in my career. So that was good. I took advantage of that opportunity. 
and then went into the corporate world and did sales, business development, and about six years, yeah, six and a half years ago now, I started the Cobalt Group, which is my consulting firm, which now I do business consulting and leadership development. Nice. And uh, what did you, you, you flew F-18s for a while too. And what did and you, it, I asked you, how, what's it like flying an F-18? What did you tell me? I, well, I don't really remember, but I probably said it was <laughs> something like it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. <laughs> yeah, that's what you said. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's my standard when people say, what was it like flying? And I, I typically say it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. Smart ass remark, but, but it's probably true. <laughs> it's got to be true. It is true. So the A6 is like the, the, the big Chevy truck you drive to the work site, you do construction, landscaping and stuff on. Yeah. The F-18 uh, was the sexy um, Ferrari that you, you drove around. It went fast and, and did all sorts of cool things. They, nice. they were both fun, but I, I had in two of my tours in Fallon, Nevada, I, I had the opportunity to fly in the F-18. So I accumulated, uh, I don't know, somewhere around 200 and 50 hours, maybe a little bit less than that, a little bit less than 250, but somewhere in that neighborhood. I don't rem- exactly remember. Nice. And you were, is that what you were in when you were the Top Gun adversary? Yeah, part of the, in, ni- in 1996, they moved Top Gun and the E-2 weapons school, which was um, the Carrier Airborne Early Warning Weapons School, or CAUSE, as we called it, for the first letters of each of those words I just gave you. <laughs> they moved up to, from San Diego, Miramar, up to Fallon, Nevada, and they merged with the command I was in, which was, we call ourselves Strike U, but it was the Naval Strike Warfare Center, and formed the Naval Strike and Air Warfare Center. So um, Top Gun, I was running the air wing training, and then so, and so there was now the Top Gun, de- under, the air, under the training division, or department rather, under the training department, there was the Top Gun division, and then the Air Wing division, and then there was a, there was another division. I don't remember exactly what it was now, but part of what I got to do was go through uh, and the adversary instructor syllabus, which really meant I learned how to present a threat picture to the students and the Air Wings when they're coming through there. Which if we trained them right. It meant I died a lot, and I did. Nice. It was nice. fun. It, That's it was awesome. A lot of fun. You know, I told my mother-in-law about you when. Um, I, she's retired um, army and she, she's, she didn't believe you existed. <laughs> my God, the dude's real. Anyway. But well, yeah. Show her my file picture on. Facebook. Yeah. She'll, yeah. She'll, nah, yeah. She wouldn't believe me. Uh, that's okay. An, uh, part of the reason I have you here is you have a lot to say about, you know, anybody that's in one of those aircraft it goes through a lot of training the mentality has to be spot on to perform. You get fatigued. You guys get pushed to the limit and you know how to trust your, I mean, the other person that's with you, the A6, if people don't know, you're side by side. It's not, you know, right. taxi, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you, yeah, yeah, we can hold hands here. Yeah. And that, I mean, you and I have talked in the past about control and I said something like, you know, when chronic illness or chronic ailments take root, you just all control is lost. And you said, you never had it, dude. And I thought, oh, shit, like, that's, that's a really good point. And that's something I actually didn't realize until you had said that. I even added on to this later after we spoke that control is the illusion driven by ego. And how if you think you're in control, perhaps that's even dangerous. But what do what 
what can you tell me about being pushed to the limit and times you've been, I mean, your mental focus had to be there and you've been fatigued. And then I want to hear what your thoughts are on control and why you, what got you, what got you to that point where you told me that, where you never had control. Yeah. I remember that conversation. Um, so f- flying high performance aircraft of any kind, whether it's Navy, doesn't matter what, what, what you're doing, actually flying of any kind, it takes a lot of mental focus and it takes a lot of mental preparation. It takes a lot of physical, especially the more higher performing uh, airplane, the more higher performance airplane you're flying, obviously the more physically demanding it can be. That's not to say that flying a little Cessna or Piper around isn't physically demanding or tiring because I think everyone's experience where when you are really, really mentally focused, it wears on you physically too. I mean, you, you're, you don't even sometimes realize your body's all tensed up and you're, mm. and, and, and the next thing you know, you're like, Oh, Hey, I can, my muscles are cramping because I'm, I'm tensed up, but it takes a lot of preparation and it takes a lot of conditioning mentally and physically and emotionally too. Uh, I'll, I'll hit the emotional one real quick. Er, first day, just about the first day we were taught, compartmentalize don't don't keep your personal baggage out of the cockpit and what what that means is everyone's got personal issues in their life Uh, it could be financial it could be relationships it could be you know a myriad of things and so they told us i remember they showed us a film this guy who was um flying an f4 and he was having these personal problems and it affected him it it, he on his pre-flight he missed something and that something caused the plane to basically become uncontrollable and it was in the flight controls if I recall right and it's been like 30 something years ago now since I've seen it but anyway because of because his mind was thinking about this I think it was an argument he was having with his wife he missed something on a pre-flight which you know the the lat the planes are usually prepared for us when we come out there and our job is to go around and make sure that they're prepared and so he missed something I'm sure it was based on a real incident but base, but what happens? What 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 the lesson they were trying to teach us in that was, whenever you put your flight gear on, you take your personal life and you put it in the locker, with with whatever else you put in the locker, you leave it in there, so you can focus and stay in the game flying, and that works. But I don't recommend. But it, there's a pain. There's a price to pay for that, because if you don't, you can't compartmentalize everything forever and it not affect you physically, perhaps. Uh, emotionally, perhaps, mentally, perhaps, because all those things are just, there are things you need to deal with, but to push down. Now, if you're having a marital issue, probably you're going to come out, if, you, if you're able to successfully compartmentalize um, it, you're going to come out of that flight. And when you go home, hopefully you're able to rationally deal with it and whatever the issue is. But some yeah. things in your life, you just push down and they manifest themselves in you in some way, Maybe, not right away. And I think it depends on the person, but over time, if they're not dealt with, they can do that. So this compartmentalization is good to get you through high stress situations, high intensity, high performance situations, but it's not so good if you don't learn how to deal with it. And that wasn't, that was something that we were never taught. I learned that, I learned many, many years later and I, I wish I'd been taught earlier. So, so that's the emotional side. The the physical side is because you can't go out and fly high performance aircraft and not be in some semblance of shape. 
So, I mean, physical training, exercise and all that was a big part of, of what we had to do. We had to, because when you're out there putting the airplane at what they call the edge of the envelope, <clears throat> at the, at basically at the edge of its performance capabilities, sometimes high, high speed and a heavy load factor or G's on the plane, um, whether you're at high altitude or we're down at, you know, two to 500 feet yanking around through a mountain valley and, you know, pretending that we're, you know, evading a threat of some type, it, there, it wears on you. Yeah. It wears on you. And uh, the physical strain of it. And, and add to that the mental, as I mentioned a little bit ago, even the mental strain of what you're doing can affect, wears on you physically as well. So you have to be in real good shape. Physically is easier to train for. Mentally is something that I don't even know how I trained for it, but it was just something that required focus. So you wanted to succeed. So you maybe it was a compartmentalization in there now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, but you were, I was able to keep the things in my life out of the cockpit so that in the cockpit I could focus on the things that I needed to, even during the flight and then during the preparation for the flight. You know, to I me, think- that correlates with like a, a flare up or like a really bad illness or some type of, you know, the next time you get hospitalized or something like that with chronic illness, that kind of correlates. Yeah, I believe it does. You know, and it goes back to what you said at the beginning, take what, take what you can have a, don't don't quit. I, I, I took out what you said at the beginning of the podcast here as you're talking to them about the podcast, but you're really talking to them about life. You're telling them, Hey, listen to this. And you know, maybe you'll take something away from here. And if it doesn't apply to you, well, hey, you, you read it, but disregard it, leave it alone. Yeah, I, I was just thinking you have like, the way I think of that, what you're describing is like a hard drive. You have limited space. I mean, you're not, you shouldn't just, even even a TV show you like, do you like 100% of the TV show or do you like most of it? Or, you know, limited space. And we don't have the time and the energy to waste on things that we're not going to use. We just don't. Right. But yeah, go, right. go on. The, the thing is, when you go to the chronic, that, the, the truth is I've had maybe my whole life, but I can tell you that in 1986 on a very long flight, I, I, I sort of called the beginning of the ear syndrome thing I had, which is quite humorous uh, in looking back now from, you know, 30, what, 30, almost 34 years ago when it happened. Um, but, but having those things, when that happened, it became, it, it consumed my life. Every, it, it consumed everything about flying. The rest of my life at the time wasn't affected. It was just flying. So it was just another thing I had to deal with flying. And there, there are some funny stories about it, um, but it became this huge mind over matter thing. How, how, do, how do I keep going? There was no way I could go, well, I can't go fly today because that wasn't the culture and it's not what my job, my job was to go fly and right. do what I was, do what I was supposed to do. So I had to go do it. I mean, it'd be no different than anyone else who had to go to work or whatever it is they do. They've got to figure out a way to power through. And all I was doing was powering through there. Were, I was not doing anything about it. I was not doing anything to get it. And, and maybe that's because I wasn't prepared and no one knew how to help me. Yeah. So, what were you diagnosed you know, with? Just irritable bowel syndrome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, just didn't, nothing. Did you I wish find I had like you were pretending a lot to be okay and you weren't like you, and when you were flying and then you, you knew things weren't okay, but you were just trying to, yeah, like you said, compartmentalize 
put it put it down and just try to ignore it but then you just can't sometimes exactly yeah exactly you don't you don't go you, you didn't go talk to people and say hey anyone else here got ibs because boy i'm i'm having a shitty day <laughs> yeah. and 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 but you didn't talk about it you just figured out how to deal with it for me um it became if i didn't go to the bathroom right before I went out and manned up the airplane. And even then that there was one time where that didn't even stop it from happening in the plane. So, I mean, I've had three incidents in the plane. Yeah. Dude, you're talking to and, the guy and, that's been covered in his own puke and <laughs> feces and yeah. blood in front of strangers, just butt naked. So I, I feel you, man. Like it's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, the, that January, what happened out, we were on this, part of what we had to do to, so there are different fleets, there's third fleet, and then you, you're in third fleet's area of responsibility, or AOR is what the word I'll use here, and then before you could chop over to seventh fleet, which was the Pacific fleet, the Western Pacific, um, you had, we had to show that we could do this long range, I don't know, I think it was 15 or 1800 mile round trip bombing evolution from the carrier, it was off down to uh, there's a target range on the big island of Hawaii, and you know there were there was tank there were tankers, uh, Air Force tankers that we would we got gas from, going once going down and once coming back to make it. And it ended up being I think my logbook said it was like a 9.2 hour flight, but cockpit's not a very I mean it's comfortable sized cockpit, but nine hours sitting anywhere is not fun. Yeah, dude, and nine, it was nine about, hours. It was how do you guys left. not like? stiffen up what do you guys do about that ibs aside for a second well I, I don't i can't speak for everyone but you could do that you could tense your body up you know do isometric tensing okay of your body we were hooked up to g-suits so you could you could depress and test the g-suit so you could squeeze your abdomen and your thighs and your calves with just by depressing the g-suit button and it would it would it would compress and basically squeezing and, and the whole purpose of that is to squeeze the muscles to keep the blood from whenever you're pulling uh, positive, more po you know, you're normally you walk around in one G flight or one in one G atmosphere. Yeah. Whenever you in an airplane, when you start pulling on the plane, you increase the, the G load. And what that can do is the blood can come out of your head, out of your brain. And it starts to go down to the lowest point of your body. Which it's like is having pots. <laughs> <laughs> well, you yeah. have this, you have this, the G suit, wraps around your waist and then it ties around your thighs. And um, I mean, it's like chaps for aviators, really. It's but a little bit, a <laughs> yeah. little bit cooler looking chaps. <laughs> a little bit. And they're green and not brown. Perfect. Um, so what it does though, is the plane senses that and it starts to inflate these bladders that are in the, in the G suit and it helps prevent that. Plus you learn this, this, maneuver where you grunt you, you, you grunt and so and what that does you're just doing whatever you can to keep the blood from being uh, drained out of your brain or so you don't get what they call g-lock or g law or g-induced loss of consciousness and you can get and you know if you don't come back to you're you know, depending on where you are your plane can impact the ground with you in it if you're not careful yeah. I, I never had that to me i mean i, I came close once of getting g-lock but you know, that wasn't anything. So we're on this mission anyway. And, and about we're, we're hit, we'd launched at two in the morning or mm. it's about coming up on sunrise around six in the morning. And we're joining on these KC 
uh, 135s. I think they were 135s. I don't think they were KC-10s. But So we're, we're joining on them, and we're the last plane. We're like dash 28 of 28 planes. So we're out there. I'm watching these, uh, watching my other guys in our division that are getting their gas, and uh, and all of a sudden it starts. The It's like, well, this is more than just the normal you know, high altitude, you get a little bit of gas and you let it out and you feel better. And, or this was, this became sweating bullets type of, it, the cramping was that bad. So the guy I was flying with, I'll leave his name out of it, but I said, Hey man, let's safe up the seats. So, you know, we safe the ejection seats. And I happened to, for whatever reason, possessed me to do this. I grabbed a, one of those green yard bag, yard trash bags, the plastic ones that you were black ones, or whatever that you go out and do it. It was green. But, and, and I care, was carrying the map case and I'm like, I gotta, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do something here. So I took off my, I, I left the helmet on because I wanted to stay hooked up, but I unstrapped the, the torso harness and got out of it, undid the G suit to the point where it would just, it around the waist, it was still around my legs. And, it, and now it's getting the point now where I, there's, you know, there's more pressure than I have the ability to control anymore. And so I grabbed the, this thing called, we have a shroud cutter, which is where if we're in the parachute and you have shroud lines get tangled, you're supposed to cut them. And, and so you can keep control of the parachute. So I'm, I'm at this point now where it's, it's, it's pure panic. And I've never been in this situation in, in my life. Well, maybe once when I was nine trying to get home from a baseball game, but still, <laughs> um, well, maybe it started when I was nine instead of uh, in 1986. Uh, so I so actually cut, I unzipped the flight suit all the way down. I actually cut it away all the way up to the backside because there was no way I was going to get it off of me in time. And my underwear, I actually ripped the underwear from the underside of it. You know, I made sure there was nothing else in the way when I pulled the knife, but, um, but <laughs> I, I did You pulled that. a Zoolander. Yeah. Well, I don't, yeah. So <laughs> I, slapped the bag, I slapped the bag under me and I'm like, okay, uh, I, you know, there was nothing I could do. I, yeah, I closed the bag, pulled my, pulled all the gear back on. Been and, there, just not ten thousand yep, feet yep. above sea level like you were, or something like that. <laughs> yep. Damn. Uh, more like twenty five thousand feet. Oh uh, yeah, a lot worse. So anyway, yeah. So anyway, I tie off the bag, put it in the map case, get myself back into the game. Just about the time, okay, we can arm the seats. We get the gas. We pull off. We go heading in. We break off there. Head down to the next checkpoint. We're heading into um, Target. Uh, we, we go down to the south end of the island, and then we make a right turn, and we're coming back up north to come into the Target range. And it hits me again. I'm, so I'm looking out to the east. We're heading north. I'm looking off to the right, out to the east, and the sun's coming up, and the clouds are this gold I've never seen before. But this is beautiful. And I'm filming it on this camera that someone gave me a video camera. So I'm filming it, and I'm getting ready to put the camera down. And my intestine said, hey, we're here again. And at this point here, there was no, we were too close. I'm sitting there going, can we divert? Do I, I wouldn't even have time to divert to Honolulu at this point to Hickam Air Force Base. There's no way to divert anywhere, even to the, to the, to the island, the, you know, the airport there at Hilo. Hilo, I think it's Hilo Airport right there by on that big island. Yeah. I was like, nothing I can do. So I, the guy I'm flying with, I said, hey, man, um, uh, the armament panel set up for you here, but you, you, this is yours. I, I, and you guys hadn't hit the target yet at this point. No, we were, we were, we were, we were getting ready to roll in on in our dive run when this right. happened in our dive on in, in a 40 degree dive. And I'm just like, Oh, I don't know at this point here. 
I was like, there's nothing I can do. I can't hold it anymore. There's no way. So all, and I'm not, I don't have time to get out of the flight suit again. Yeah. Uh, I, so I, I just filled the seat under me. Oh. And yeah, it was not fun. That Yeah, dude, uh, that is like, you, you were telling me a bit about the story before, like that is a medical emergency at that point. Especially like I always tell people like with pots, like for me, if you lose any mm -hmm. type of fluid, vomiting, just not even drinking enough, like mm -hmm. you, you faint. And if you faint while you're in an aircraft, yeah, not good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the worst thing exactly. you can or, do. Yeah. yeah, there are lots, there are lots of um, careers out there where fainting would not be a good thing. Well, fainting is not a good thing for anyone anyway, but there are other times where it's less forgiving atmosphere. Yeah. So anyway, we, he, uh, at that point, I didn't care if he crashed. I didn't care anything. All I, all I wanted it, I just wanted the flight to be over. And there were still four and a half hours back to the carrier. Oh my God. Yep. So he rolls in and he, it was a pilot designated target run and everything. I mean, all, I did all sorts of stuff, but it was basically his ball at that point. The bombs, I can feel the bombs come off and we we pull up and rendezvous with everyone. And I, I managed to have enough energy to turn off the master armament switch and deselect the station. And so that, you know, every, all the, any, any power that would go out to the, anything out there on the wings or the center line was, was turned off at that point, unless he hit the emergency jettison. And then I started feeling better. We, we rendezvoused and we're flying back. And, you know, I mean, other than having to hit the tanker again and sitting in, in my own waist for, for, for four and a half hours, the flight home was uneventful. It was, that was it. I mean, so we landed and I threw the seat cushion off the side of the ship into the Pacific ocean. Cause there was no way. <laughs> I was, yeah. I was, I was front of many jokes for about the next week. And then someone else did something and took away the spotlight for me. And I forget what it was now, Perfect. but that's the way it, out there you're not going to you're not going to be the brunt of jokes for very long because someone else is going to do something to come along so that happened in two other flights not quite as dramatic as that but a few years later a couple more flights that happened so but back to that whole thing of preparing i had to make sure that i went to the bathroom before i got in an airplane but no one ever knew i mean maybe one or two people might have known that uh, hey well, i have to go do this and um and here's why, but no, no, no one ever, I never talked to anyone about it. It was, I just held it in and tried to deal with it as best I could. Yeah, dude, that reminds me, like, even, like you said, even in law enforcement, like, you don't want to tell anybody what's really going on. Same with me. I have to run to the bathroom because of some type, type of urgency or something, or you have to leave a call. I remember I was on a call for, um, and I was training somebody and we had a report of a, a guy with a gun and he was mad and, and then the lady hung up that he was with the, the supposed hot, even potential hostage situation. And when we yeah. got there, I thought I was just like same situation. I don't know if it was the adrenaline or just a combination of things. And I had to go and I, and I actually, I had to like sit, um, I just went on my knees and I'm sitting there like curled on my knees and I told them I just didn't feel good and, and making up all these excuses. But Dude, it's like your it's like your pal Commander Fra uh, David Fravor when he saw his Tic Tac. He was after that the the UFO out on the Nimitz, right? Yep. And then he said when he got back, everybody was playing signs and ET and all these like everything was doing yeah. on aliens, like Independence Day and any flight he came back on, it was like, oh, did you see any aliens out there? He's like, ah. but yeah, you're not gonna tell anybody that. Like you also said, it's like career ending. 
potentially, depending on what happens. So yeah, I don't I, think this was yeah. career ending. It was just something I had to manage. And yeah, uh, you know, you know. You how think many if you fainted can, though, if you lost consciousness, how big of a problem would that be for you guys? That's a problem. Yeah. It doesn't matter which which seat in a multi air multi place airplane. Uh, in a single seat airplane, it's bad, bad. In a multi place airplane. You know, if, if it's a pilot, it's way worse because in most of them, he's the only one that has a control stick. Yeah. Some airplanes are controls. Um, but if it's one of the other crew members, um, then, you know, now the ability to do the mission and then it also creates a safety problem, which is even more important than accomplishing the mission. So, yeah, if, if, if it was if painting had been part of this, I, I well, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. Maybe at the t- now I'd like to think I would have fessed up at the time. 1986 when it first started yeah. in the airplane. Uh, I don't know that I would have because flying was, I don't know, it was my identity at the time, which was looking back, it was, it was a career. It was a job. It wasn't my identity, but at the time I probably felt like it was my identity. Definitely. I felt like that when I would do dispatch or something, it was, mm-hmm. and then it became just a job and <laughs> your priorities kind of align. Maybe that just comes with age. Age and maturity. Yeah. Yeah, but the um, yeah, luckily you were the you were a WSO, right? The WSO is that what is that what they call you guys? Uh, well, in the in the A six, we were the BN, the bombardier navigator. I was okay. the right seat. Yeah, in the when I flew in the F eighteen, then I was I was the WSO, whip weapon system officer. I was the back seater. Okay, cool. That's awesome. So control. It's a good thing you didn't have control of that plane at that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have, I would have done something. I would have figured, I probably would have figured out something to do. Yeah, barrel rolls that. for the next four hours. That you're or, or, or fake, or, or just filled the seat and, and not worried about it. Yeah. Funny aside to that is, on the way back, we actually took our oxygen masks off, and you couldn't. There was no, you, unless I moved around in a certain way, then you couldn't smell anything. I mean, it was kind of like, I was like, really? I can't, Neat. you know. I mean, there's a lot of air pumping through there though, right? Like a lot of ventilation. Yeah, that, it's pretty well. Cool. How did you get that idea that when you told me, dude, you've never, you never had control. You just thought you did. When did you realize that yourself? I probably heard it and. And sort of went, yeah, 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 various times throughout my life. But it was, it was August of 2006. And a, a friend of mine uh, had given me a book. He was a pastor. He'd given me this book and said, hey, I want you, you should read this book. I think you're going to like it. And it was a book called Wild at Heart by a guy named John Eldridge. And so I'm reading this book. And so, so, so I'll tell you another funny IBS story. One morning I'm at home. And the, this book had sat on my home office desk for five months for five months he gave it to me and it was five months later so the families <laughs> so we're living in virginia my wife and three kids are out here we're in, in the very house i'm living in right now um visiting her her parents and i'm back there working and for that i was back there for almost two weeks without him and one morning it hit me and i'm like i gotta, I gotta go to the bathroom i gotta i gotta get the bathroom i need something to read and so I grabbed a book, I grabbed that book. And so my story to people, I mean, I'd always been, I tried to be a, a, a good Christian. I, I was raised Catholic and I, I tried to be, sure. but you know, I had no, I had no real grounding. I had no, I mean, and I, I basically pretended, pretended, I guess is the right word. I, I don't know, without having thought, I've never 
really talked about it like this before. So I'm, so you're hearing it raw without any filter. Perfect. Um, so one morning I'm, that happens and I grab this book and I, I go in there and I sit down and three, four minutes later, I'm done with what I had to go into the bathroom for. And 45 minutes later, my legs are asleep. I've got ants crawling all up inside my legs. And I, and you know, you know, the feeling whenever your legs go or any limb. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, I call them ants crawling and <laughs> I'm trying to stand up so I can get ready, finish getting ready to go to work. Well, I couldn't put the book down. So it was, it was through that. So I tell people, my, my joke to people is God got me on a toilet one morning. <laughs> and That's perfect. So, so going through that book and learning about this journey for a man's soul that I did and answering the question, you know, do I have what it takes? I realized that this is when I really first accepted I was never in control of anything anyway. So that to answer your question, I gave you a little bit of a story there because I thought it was humorous and it is kind of humorous. It was then that I realized I've not had control of hardly anything. I, all the times I thought I was in control. Why didn't I die a certain, you know, there, there were a couple of flights that I don't, there was one flight. I don't even know how close I came to the ground because I was already, I thought I was already dead. And then I heard the, the plane, the guy was pulling back on the stick real hard. I mean, as hard as he could pull on it. And, you know, I just resigned myself to die and no one's going to know what mistake we made, but we're going to be dead. And the next thing I hear is the power coming back up on the plane. And that's the closest to the ground I've gotten other than landing. Who was in control? Wasn't anything I did. I'm sure, you know, I mean, the pilot did a great job getting us out of the situation we we found ourselves in. Yeah. But yet you can only control so much of the, your physical surroundings. There's a, there's a mm -hmm. limit. Right. So that's, so once again, to answer your question, it was during this renewed journey, be a better man of God. And it's, it's a journey because I, I wake up and I'll mess it up every day, but I'm going to keep trying. But that's when I realized I'm not really in control. I don't know that I'm supposed to be in control. Last time we spoke on the phone, you mentioned spiritual warfare. What kind of a battle is that for you? Is that, is that kind of what you just touched on is like the daily, your daily discipline of yourself or is it something else? Well, I'll speak to my knowledge and my belief. I'm, I'm not an expert, but I, one of the things that I, that I learned in that book, and I guess I may have known it, but most churches don't talk to it that way. There's spiritual warfare. I mean, I think God has a plan for us, and there's an enemy out there, Satan. I mean, you can call him the enemy. Call him, you can call him whatever you want to call him, but his whole job is to keep you from God. And, and he, he, and he's got all, he, he's got all sorts of helpers and minions and things out there. And, and then the, then they can work through people and do stuff. I think they can get in your way of what you're trying to do. And I, I believe that oftentimes whenever you're under a lot of spiritual attack and that, and that, and that's in that book there, when it, it goes back to the wounds that were dealt to your heart, you know, um, a son who gets called by his dad, you're a mommy and boy. You're a, that's not a, that, that, that wounds him. It tells him he's not valuable. And so that over time, if, if it's not corrected, then he starts to make an agreement with that wound. And, and then he starts to believe I'm nothing. And then that leads to things that he does, you know, and, but he's searching for that answer. Do I have what it takes to be a man? And that's what a father's job is, is to give his son those answers that answer. You have what it takes to be a man. And I mean, I, I have two sons and a daughter and, and, and I'm working hard to make sure they understand that. Uh, I fail sometimes, but I keep, but I keep going. 
but I also know that that enemy out there is trying through, and, and that's what I what they call spiritual warfare. There is actually war if you know, according to the Bible. Again, I'm I'm not an expert, man. I'm, I'm you just I'm pretend to be on the internet, right? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> I'm a I'm, I'm a well, like your well, whoever that person was that said I was a basement dweller. Um, <laughs> yeah, sit, sit down there trolling people on the internet. But this, this um, but I but I believe it. I believe that there's that there are. There's a spiritual war going on in their level, and, and then also it, it, they're trying to take us out. And they're trying, and by take us out, it's keep us from and make us not believe we have any worth that we're not worthy of, of what God has for us. I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm way simplifying it, but what I, was your mindset before? I mean, this this all kind of stemmed from that book, right? Yeah. Well, before so, then, I thought I was in control. Okay. I thought I was the I thought I was the master of my destiny. And that if um, if if something didn't go the way I wanted it, well then someone else did either better than me or cut me off at the knees. And but anyway, it was like, all right, well I lost control there, so I didn't win. So prior to the book, would you say you didn't have, you didn't really take complete ownership of your life, or you maybe played the blame game a little bit? Yes, I would say that in part. Yeah, no one wants to sit there, and it's hard even now. And I'm still on this journey. I'm still trying every day to succeed. But no one wants to. So I've, I mean, I've sat in a lot of, of prayer time. All right, God, what is it you're working in me? And I'm hearing things. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mention them here. But because, but I'm hearing things. I'm going. What? That's not me. But until I accepted that, okay. Where would that thought have come from anyway? It's not a thought I would ever have had. I mean, there was one specific thing. And so before that, it was, yeah, it was someone else's fault. I didn't get this because this guy screwed me over or, or, or this happened and blah, blah, blah. You know the stories. Yeah, a lot of negative thinking. Yeah. The rabbit hole of negativity. I was just talking about um, this with two other people today. And it came up that I was like, we both can't kind of came to a consensus that you ever just feel like some people are just their only reason for existing is to spread negativity and to try and ruin other people and just produce waste. It sounds really fucking harsh, but I, I don't like people without a conscience and people that constantly or consistently do wrong or, or do harm to other people. And yeah. What you said earlier, uh, it's just kind of ironic too, that we, you, we would have this conversation. And then what you said earlier about how a while back, I don't, I don't remember the time frame, but you said you were, oh, about your um, you being raised Catholic and all that, that you were pretending. And I had a therapy appointment today and she asked me, I forget how we even came up on that topic because of brain fog. Thanks brain fog. But I'm, ta I'm, ta yeah, I'm talking to this lady and, um, you know, my therapist and I said, well, in school we were part of, you know, how I was talking about my wife and I during this incident with my daughter having seizures and, and how my wife was freaking out and rightfully so. And I was freaking out too, but in school we were taught to be actors. I mean, they said, you must be a skilled thespian with a mm -hmm. and that that like they legitimately taught you how to act and because a it makes i mean if 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 somebody's freaking out and you're acting like hey it's all cool you got this under control but on the inside you're like oh 
shit. <laughs> like I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, then you can actually fool the other person into legitimately believing everything's going to be fine. So on the other hand, if you're talking to a, uh, like a suspect or, or somebody mm-hmm. that's going to do something or do some harm and, and tensions like high, it's a high stress situation. As long as you like, say I, you pull your taser on somebody and you're given orders, but on the inside, you're like, please don't fight me. Please don't fight me. You'll kick my ass. But if you, if you could play the part and you can act as if they're not going to get the jump on you, you can actually psychologically trick them into doing what they're told to do, you know, getting on the ground, putting their hands behind their back, something like that. I mean, kind of like posturing? Almost, yeah. Yeah, like if, yeah. You, can, if you can do it, uh, at the same time you're doing it, you're actually doing the, the legitimate steps, but you're terrified. But yeah, at the same time, oh, yeah. if you make it believable... And, and somebody, and you get somebody to do something. And then later, are you going to go back and tell your partner? Yeah, I got really lucky on that one. I just tricked him. No, you're going to be like, you're just going to play it up. Like you're a good officer, you know, like you just know your job or you just have some gift that you can communicate with people. No, it's like a lot of it's just, you have no control. And people, especially for me, I'm always trying to work on getting, uh, getting the reins on emotions, on fear. But yeah, a, a lot of times I I could think back to, just as you said, it's like I felt like I was just pretending and acting all the time, but really I was just terrified. And then that stuff, that stress builds and builds. And then, yeah, if you don't have a way to work through it, like you said, and you, you said that you wish you had learned something like that or that they had taught you that in flight school, I think. But, yep. Yeah, I I'm still going through that now. Like I'm I'm still even now uh, going to therapy today was uh, I'm still working through that stuff. But and I don't know that I have. I mean, I have a lot of solutions, but I, there's not one that I can just say here. Do this. This uh, this show, this podcast is more about just putting all ideas and thoughts and and looking and examining deeper into them and and seeing if we can pick them apart and find the stuff that we want to take out of it and just yeah leave the rest. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there were, there's, you know, there's, there's fear associated with flying, not, not fear. I'm, you know, you don't go out there like shaking in your boots when you go get in the plane, but I mean, you, you know what, you know, the reality's there, but you try to not like, like you say, you, you, you're, you're not focused on the negative outcome of it. You're trying to focus on, okay, I'm here to do something here and, and I'm going to focus on doing it the right way. But in the back of your mind, there, there is the stress of that. All right, well, this could go wrong or, and especially when something starts to go wrong, like you have an oil, you have an engine firelight or something else happens and when reality sets in a little bit closer to home. Yeah. Being able to detach. Yep. I'm, that's something I'm still learning to do, to be able to detach, see everything, you know, a, as a whole and not just freak out because of one issue going on or one, one thing happening. So if somebody's listening and they get really ill and they know they're going to the hospital. Hell, even I've been in that situation where you're like, you just, all you can focus on is how bad you don't want to go back and you know, what's coming, you know, you know, the pain that you're going to be in, you know, the time frame. you know, the meds you're going to be on, you know, the recovery and you know, all the muscle mass you're going to lose, you know, just all these things. But if you can detach and look, mm-hmm. you know, get perspective on it and look at it as a whole, it sounds really bad to say, but I, I don't have any other way to put it yet, but to honor the process and only focus on the things that you can do and the things that you can manipulate. 
So on my on my website, I do I do a blog. I mean, I'm I'm intermittent with blogging nowadays because of my my client load. As as I also tried podcasting and or I call them bizcasts, but and so you know I've gotten three of them out there. But you know I, I still keep saying I'm gonna I'm gonna get on it. But one of my blogs, you just hit the title of it, not the content of the blog, but the title was it's called Looking Without While Looking Within. And uh, so that's a it's kind of what you're talking about. How can I keep a how, keep my eye on the big picture while still dealing with the alligator that's you know right next to the boat or 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 another one is remembering it's your job to drain the swamp whenever you're up to your asshole and elbows and alligators (laughs) that that one's better (laughs) yeah i like that one better too yeah yeah how do you win in that situation what do you what do you talk about in that podcast then or in that bizcast oh that was a blog that was that wasn't um okay that wasn't that was a blog um, you know what? I'd have to go back and look at it. I've got so many of them out there and I've done it twice, but it was just what you were talking about. Reminded me of the title of that blog, looking, looking without while looking within. Yeah. Well, I it don't... also, oh, go on. it came, it came from a, a guy I flew with, uh, he was the executive officer of the squadron. And we, this was out during desert shield, desert storm time frame. And, um, and he said something and it's not coming to me right now. It almost just came to me, but it, but it was very simple. But it was very similar to that. You, you've got to be able to look without while looking within and basically control the uncontrollable. Mm. Because back, then, back then, when it was all about control, we, at least we thought we had control. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about controls, there are things you can control, but there are, but there are things in your life that, and about your life that you, you can't control. So when we say control is an illusion, I'm not speaking. I can control my car by my hands on the steering wheel. Maybe not even though. I would argue to say you can't control anything. You can just manipulate it. And whether or not it's going to work relies a lot on on a few one things, thing, but chance is one thing. Well, it, they, it can rely on things that aren't in your control. Yeah. Yeah, so so control is an illusion. The, the whole thing. Anyway, what you just said just reminded me of that blog title. Is that, by the Sorry way, to... is that flight or that time frame, is that where you got you, uh Told me that story. You got shot. Somebody tried to hit. Was that an RPG or what was that? Oh, it was just one of the flights out there, um, and we we're flying in over coasting in over Kuwait, and we were up too high. They they did things. You could see at nighttime, especially you could see tracers and stuff. But it didn't happen a lot. It was you know handful of times of the forty or so missions I did, and um, one time in the day you could I saw the corkscrew thing of a what would have been SA seven. IR guided missile, but we were up too high. Even, even if we just went flew straight and level, I knew the thing wasn't going to even come up close. So it didn't even register other than the fact that I, my first thought was, wow, you're wasting a, you're wasting armament ordinance there, pal. <laughs> yeah. That uh, thing's got to come down eventually. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, but it wasn't going to even reach to where we were at, yeah. at the altitude we were. So, so, so you know, I, I don't have any harrowing stories like that. Well, that's good. So, the, the, the times I came closest to perishing, I'll use that word, in, uh, in, in the A6 or the F-18 were back here during training, during training operations, not out deployed. Yeah, it surprised me when you said lying is easy. You're pretty much just letting the plane do its thing until you got to make your move or drop your ordinance. Yeah, you stay ahead of it. You have to think ahead of it. A lot of things in life, you have to think faster than what's going on, so you can stay ahead. Driving a car, you can't. You can't think at 
at uh, 45 miles an hour whenever you're driving 65 miles an hour, or you you're, you've got to be thinking out what's 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 coming next, what's the next thing. For us, it was we would like if we would hit a turn point and turn like down if we're down at 500 feet on a low level, uh, especially at night on night vision goggles, then I'd need to know okay at the next point what's the next direction I'm going to go, what's the next heading, so that when we hit there I'm already ready to go. And I'm looking ahead, I'm checking radar, doing all sorts of stuff. You're, but you're always trying to be out ahead of what's going on and, and be prepared for it so you can react if it isn't going the way it's supposed to go. Dude, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> that oh, like, this, this stuff amazes me that that translates to chronic illness because I, I had just, I think it was a few, oh, it was a few months ago already that I had written something about mitigating the effects of being hospitalized or having that bad flare and mm-hmm. prepared and thinking of ahead. And I was talking about a, I talk about a go bag, like a, like a bug out bag or whatever you want to call it, where you know how you don't plan on getting hospitalized usually. And if something, I don't. Yeah. And if something bad happens and you're there, typically you're unprepared, right? You don't have your meds, you don't have clothes you don't have toiletries, like whatever. So to always remember to wear clean underwear when you leave the house though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me, give me some depends for Christmas, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> I'm running yeah. low, but yeah, just to, to mitigate that and plan and prepare and, and then yeah. just leave it, leave it in a closet. So even if you can't grab it and you have to go, then you go and you say, yeah, just get my black backpack out of the, this closet door or whatever and bring it. And it has everything. A lot of the unnecessary stress that comes up later, I found, because I've been in this situation enough times, is like, oh, I don't have any clothes. Or like, I one night, I like you said, I, sh- I soiled myself. I was totally ill. Double IV. They missed a few times. Blood all over the place. Shit my pants. Threw up everywhere. Like, everything soaked. They get me naked. And then they have like these blue, after they wipe me down, like I'm some type of lab experiment. They have these blue scrubs that aren't even scrubs. They're more like, it's like wax paper. I don't know if you've ever seen those, but that's, you mean that's the gown? yeah. And they throw all your dirty clothes into a bag, into a plastic bag. And just like when you discharge it, like here's your bag. And then you have your, your wax paper pants that are like baby blue colored. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had to get a cab and I've some guy term, but I've... bastard that picked me up that night was like, I got my shit, shit clothes with me and I'm wearing these, I'm barely wearing this wax paper. It was messed up, but you know, just yeah, back on track, <laughs> but mitigating <laughs> the effects of that, just being prepared as best you can, like thinking ahead. Those are yeah. the things you can attempt to manipulate. All this stuff just maximizes your chances at your desired outcome. And I, I love saying that because it's that's just the it's not a guarantee. It's no, no none of it's a guarantee. And that's something else that you've mentioned before and I totally agree with. You're not you're not guaranteed anything, but if you can maximize your chances, here's what you can do. And so I hope that's something that so anybody listening takes away from what translates from and correlates from being a, a pilot or all the stuff that you had to do. It, it, I mean, a lot of it has to do with life being prepared. That's well, have of, you heard of the six P's prior planning prevents piss poor performance? Oh yes. I, I haven't mean, heard that. Well, I haven't heard that it's, in like it's 10 a cool years. Little thing. It's a cool little thing, but 
I, you know, you and I both know, I mean, my, my, my situation is just more embarrassing than anything if something goes wrong. Uh, so I, I won't pretend that it's anything more than that. Yeah. Be- um, seg- uh, quick time out there. Uh, it is, but it isn't because that shit happens. That shit happens to yeah, <laughs> it, it. It's happened to me. It's probably happened to most of the people listening, but they like one of my things. I don't know if I even told you this. Maybe you've seen one of my posts on social media, but like, I don't have time for, for negativity and I don't have time for humiliation anymore. Like I've been there. I'm just going to talk about it. If I want to talk about my my surgery on my testicles, boom, I'm gonna talk about it like I just did. <laughs> like I don't yep. I don't care anymore. Like none of that matters. That's that's an imaginary barrier. Look, I'm still here, I'm still talking. Did I lose friends over what I said? Like it doesn't matter. So I think it's I think it's good that you're actually you've evolved and you've moved on to be able to talk about that stuff. And I Well, yeah. Yeah. It no it it has helped. It has helped. I mean a lot of things have helped, but I will tell you, not letting it get you down and having a plan, even here, um, even though it's fairly well under control now, I mean, really, it rarely ever happens anymore, Yeah. but it controlled my life. It controlled what I would do. No, I don't want to, no, I know I'll, I know I'll end up having to pull over somewhere and go to the bathroom if I make that trip. And, and I did, why, okay, so what? Why not just go and pull over and go to the bathroom? Who cares? But it was, when I was back in Virginia, working in the Northern Virginia, uh, Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, from my house to almost anywhere I went, even all the way down to D.C., I knew where every bathroom was. Every bathroom I could get to off of the highway within two to three minutes off the highway. I knew where they were because I'd visited them. And so I knew where they were. But but over time, that became a plan. Okay, well, I know if I make it to, if I make it to Reston, I know I've got these particular, these are the quickest, the easiest to get into. And I don't have to play any games to uh what hey can you go you know you don't have to go into like a wendy's or something and order something i'll be right back and go to the bathroom which is really all you want to do is use the bathroom but you ordered something so you didn't look like you were just coming in to use the bathroom in a suit and tie which is what i wore so dude that's got to be a lot more comforting though to at least know and not wonder if there's a bathroom well but i bet you had some trial and error to get there (laughs) yeah (laughs) well until you until you walk until you walk in and all the stalls are full Oh, that's when you just go to the women's man. You got to do what you got to do. Okay. So that happened one time, actually. Oh, that actually happened in a, in a grocery store. Yeah. And uh, that's funny. I'm going to tell the story, not to, I'm not trying to embarrass myself, but it's, it's funny because I was with my daughter. I don't remember how old she was and, uh, but elementary school probably. So I went into the, to go, I said, Hey, come on back with me. I got to go to the bathroom real quick. And so I had the cart and I said, just hang out here by the cart and, and it was by the staff area. So I was like, if, if you know, like, I gave her the brief on what to do, how to be safe and everything. Yell into the bathroom at me and I'll come out. I walked in, the floor's got like a, an inch of water and it's brown water. <laughs> and, and now I'm going, I don't have, I don't, kind of like when I was in the plane and this is what happens. So the, I, I walked next door, went into the, I said, hey, don't let anyone come in here. This is my daughter now. Who's, who's going to, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. I don't remember how old she was. Who's going to, don't go in there. And, you know, some lady's going to say, what are you 
go in there. There's a my dad's in there. Oh. <laughs> so I walk, hey, I it is it there. is 2019, so that could actually. Be well, this here. wasn't 2019. This was about 10 years ago. Ah, okay, yeah, that, yeah, that would yeah, have been. Yeah, so, yeah, she's 20 now. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, I, I I went in and there was a lady at the sink, and I just said, "How you doing?" <laughs> and, and, leaves in a hurry i shake her hand hi steve mccaslin (laughs) hey glad to meet you here's my business card that's anyway connect with people yeah yeah exactly um so i went in i I did what i had to do and i'm walking out and there's another lady coming in and i went how's it going and uh before i went in the one of the storm the store manager a lady said you can't go in there and uh, and i'm telling her i said listen man you don't understand if I don't go in there and go to the bathroom, then you're going to have a bigger problem out here than you have in the men's bathroom. <laughs> oh, um, nice. Well, okay. okay. Perfect. Well, I thought, I thought maybe this lady would stay there with my daughter and, and no, she went off. She went off and, and store managed. And so my daughter said, there's a man in there. My dad's in there. And the lady just walked. That was the lady at the end when I left. Um, <laughs> I has it going. Everything in here is okay. I think I said something quippy like, everything in here is okay. It's good to go. And I kept walking out. <laughs> it's good to go. It it's all warmed yeah. up for you. Yeah. But no, but no, but you're right. No, you have, you, you have to, you, the planning, you, so you know, depending on what it is, your chronic or whatever, whatever you're dealing with, it stopped me from doing things I wanted to do, even though I tried not to. But I, but the things I couldn't let it stop me from, like going to work and doing things like that, I had to have a plan. I had to have a you know, I'd have these escape routes to get off and go do things like you were talking about. You, you look at all the contingencies and then you go. It's, it, it was no different than going on a mission. We had a mission to put a bomb somewhere, but we looked at all the contingencies. What, how, what's the route in? What's the threat? Where can, where can things go wrong? Where, where's, at what point do we say, yep, let's don't do it. And let's turn around and abort the mission and, and come back and try again another time. I mean, all of that, it, it's, same with life. I mean, sometimes you're going to have to, you're, sometimes you're not going to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to be defeated. Yep. But we don't want to stay there. Ex- exactly. I always exactly. say that it's okay to be defeated. I've been defeated. I'm going to be defeated in the future. I know that it's going to suck. You don't have to like it. It'd be weird if you did, but we don't want to stay defeated. I got to tell you a quick secret. Anytime I'm patrol, yeah. when, when buildings were closed, we would always use the women's restroom because they were always cleaner <laughs> and they always smell. I don't know. It's like they, yeah, it's like they don't do the same stuff we do in a bathroom, I guess. Cause they always like smell better too. I don't know what it was. So I managed here for a period of time. I managed a, a park and recreation district, which was really a pool more than anything. That was the 95% of it was a pool. And my lifeguards would come and tell me that the women's restroom was worse than the men's. Huh? Maybe it's like yeah, a regional so- thing. Left the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) That's awesome. What can you tell me about trust, though, as far as those situations where you're not in control or those those really bad situations? I mean, trust does it even come to mind, or do do you even trust in the moment? Like your your pilots pulling up on that stick? Are you even thinking about trust, or you just kind of letting go? At that moment, I was resignation. I wasn't afraid anymore. There was no fear. I mean, there, the initial fear was whenever uh, we did this maneuver, it's called a pop-up attack where you, you come in low and you do this offset turn, you pull the pl- nose up and you climb to a certain altitude, then you roll and you look for the target. 
And the target we thought was the target was turned out to be not the target. The target was closer. And we tried to, we pulled too, we tried to pull, hack it and get down to it. And it, we got too steep. Apparently not too steep because I'm, I'm here talking, but there was no fear at that point. Uh, there was nothing really trust. I, at that point, it was resign. It was resignation. I just thought I'm dead. And, you know, I am not even been married a year yet. And yeah. no one's going to know. No one's going to know why we died. No one's going to know the mistake we made. I mean, they probably would have figured it out. But, you know, talk was, about not having one. control, though, especially as, uh, as well, I'm, you're sitting next yeah, to the pile. This guy has the stick. Well, I've also uh, in the civilian world, I'm actually uh well, although it's not current anymore, I'm a certified flight instructor and a CFI, CFII. So, I mean, I, I've, I've got actual pilot time, about you know, a lot of hours doing that. Yeah, there, there's a, you have to have an element of trust. You have to trust that the guy next to you knows what he's doing and he's not going to do anything stupid to kill you. But, you know, that could be in any, that could be driving down the highway. The, you know, I, I'm, I'm teaching my kids when they're, as they're learning how to drive. You, you watch cars, cars have, you can read a car's body language a lot of times. You can read what they're going to do just by watching it. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and I always tell them, you want to be predictable when you're driving. You don't want to be unpredictable, but you always want to look out for the unpredictable person because that's the one that's going to cause the problem. So you, there's an element of trust. There's trust that the guy in the other car or the guy I'm flying with is going to do his thing, uh, right? Do it the right way, his or her thing. And then in the car, there's the trust that that person's going to do the right thing. What if they don't? I was, I, w- I read it early enough that I'm able to react and not get caught up in their mistake. So it's, it's kind of a weird thing, this trust thing. I mean, I, I always trusted the guys I flew with. I didn't know. Yeah. I, I like every guy I flew with, but I always trusted that when I got in the plane, but you know, maybe maybe that was one of those things I compartmentalized. I've never even looked at that one before. So you just brought up something that I've not ever looked at before. Yeah. Or, so, or, even, or even just your board, if you can't trust your own body anymore. Yeah. You, yeah that, that I've always, again, my, again, I, you know, I know I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay what I have, but it's, it, it, you know, the worst that happens is I get embarrassed, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I've you never, also don't know, or at least well, you didn't at the time. You didn't at the time. Well, yeah, sort of. I did that. Okay. So, and, and that's what's going to happen. I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the brunt of a bunch of jokes for a few days to a week or more, but someone else is going to do something stupid and then they're going to forget about me for a while. And then years later, like now it's, it's one of those things I, I tell humorously because you know, okay, so what? I'm not the only guy. I know guys who before combat missions would be, would be in the plane and have to get out and go to the bathroom and then go back, get in the plane and go. I mean, it, it stress affects different people in different ways. And I'm not also, the only guy to ever crapped in a plane. So <laughs> guarantee not. Let's I know a lot of guys, that, too. but, but until the, until a guy, until someone does it like me, then all of a sudden you have two or three guys pull you aside and go, Hey man, sorry about that. That happened to me once. And you know, Oh, well, uh-huh. I didn't do that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, we don't talk. well, here's what they said. Yeah. We don't talk about that shit. <laughs> Makes sense. Yes. But I mean, there's trust. I mean, it's, but it's same with you as an officer. I mean, you got to trust the partner that that your partner is going to do something yeah, or or do the, what you guys were trained to do. Or if you have to deviate, it's made on a, made on a, you know, from a level of knowledge and experience that, okay. um, I I know that this is what I have to do because this is what it's going to take to, 
keep us both alive. Yeah. A lot of times I was the, I was the trainer actually worked. I think I worked better when I was training because it felt like I could uh, manipulate more. I'll say. And, yeah, no, uh, I know. You know, I would only, yeah, I would have the trainee fail and learn from the failure. But if, I mean, if they were going to do something illegal or hurt somebody, I would step in and take over. But I wasn't going to do the, like the, the traditional thing of was FTO, which was field training program. Mm-hmm. Where you would show somebody how to do, and this happens at work all the time. You know what I'm going to say already. You show somebody how to do something and then you like, there, that's how you do that. So you do it next time. And then they do it next time. And then they're supposed to be like good at it. And then the people that aren't, you're like, oh, he didn't do this, but I showed him how to do it. Okay. Well, it's not, not everybody learns the same way. So the, the failing forward okay. concept was like the training that I, like the certification I got from police training officer program was, it's PTO. It's not FTO where mm-hmm. the main difference is you let the trainee like just take the reins from the get go and and you're you're there almost just as a monitor to make sure nothing illegal happens to make sure nobody gets hurt and then if 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 possible you let them finish out that scenario or whatever call incident and at the end you go back and reflect on the things you did well here's all the things you didn't do right forgot should have done don't do mm-hmm. that again. And they're like, Oh shit. Like kind of like, I don't, yeah, I don't want to feel embarrassed. I don't want to, I don't want people to know that I didn't do that. I don't want to, I'll never forget that again. That was horrible. Like that was just yeah. not, they feel that discomfort of being put right up there, right out front and, and getting well, you- stressed out over it. And they don't want to feel that again. So that's how they learn. And, and it makes more effective problem solvers, in my opinion. But train training is a, there's a science to it. I mean, that's why there's a whole, you know, degrees around training. One of the things I do is corporate training. And back in May, June, and then about a year ago right now, I was working with a local manufacturing company. So I've done three different classes or two, two classes, two classes for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's, it's called train the trainer. So it's training people like you to be the trainer. And it's this whole, this whole thing about how do you get them to basically, how do you, become a good trainer and that's that whole science thing you're right people learn differently some people are learn visually some people are hands-on some people learn audibly everyone can learn every way but there's a preferred way and then there's the complexity how do you make them feel safe in what they're doing you know like you were just talking to how do you how do you let them take it to a point where they don't where they can't hurt themselves and that's that's, there's some control right there controlling the environment you're controlling the point to which you're going to let them go so that whenever you can go, yep. All right, let's stop here. And before anything gets out of hand. Have you, uh, you heard of emotional intelligence? Do you talk about that at all? I have a workshop that I do on it. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. We, we would talk about that a lot too. And mm-hmm. this was, this was back in, see when I went through this course, it was like 20, 14. It wasn't too long ago, but it was still kind of new for the world of law enforcement or Bloom's taxonomy, the different, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah the different ways to, yep. to learn. And yeah, whoever wants to look that up, I'm not going to go through it, but you, I think, didn't you tell me when you, when you were in the Navy or even after you got out that stress was kind of wreaking havoc on you? Well, yeah, it does. It's just a different kind of stress. You go from um, the stress of combat, training for combat, uh, doing all the things we did as aviators 
to now the corporate world where it's a different stress. Um, like sales, now you have a quota, and now the guy's breathing down your neck. What are you going to do to make the quota? Uh, we, we used to joke, one, the second company I worked for, you had to make a quarterly call, and if you weren't going to make your number for that quarter, you had to, you, we basically said you had to have a note from God, and even then, it probably wouldn't matter. Damn. Um, I mean, that's how, I mean, it can be, it can be very stressful in those kind of things because, you know, they're, they're on you and you know that there's nothing you can do to get there at a certain point. You're not going to reach, you know, unless, you know, out of the, out of the blue, a blue, what we actually call them bluebirds. You get a bluebird order out of nowhere going, Hey, I need a $200,000 worth of stuff here. And <laughs> I mean, that doesn't happen all the time. I think I had one or two of those in my 15 years before I started doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a whole nother, and yeah, there's so but, many different types of stress, but yeah, the stress to perform. I mean, so I, my guess is my guess is the IBS is if in some part, if not mostly a, a reaction to stress, but, but you see, I still have a lot, I still have a lot of answers that I'm still trying to work on. And I, I wish I, ha- I wish I could sit here and go, okay, I got that one done. Now I'm going to work on the next, thing which i don't know what that is but i don't have it that's but i'm still yeah that's fine you know one thing one thing i like in particular about just chilling hanging out with you and talking is you have a pretty good sense of humor (laughs) every friday night well almost every friday night which we uh my wife me and Casman here we fire up some ps3 and we have a blast and we're just able to like even the stories you're telling now like you can go back and laugh at that stuff man like humor i i post a lot of serious shit because you know a chronic victory podcast it's it's literally a a battle it's about staying in the fight fighting for your life and the the stuff you want to do the stuff you want to achieve the stuff you want to keep and that's all great but I have fun too. And and you need to have, you need to be able to laugh. You need to be able to have fun when it's, I, I always say now it, there's no better time than now to be aggressive as far as when we take ownership of what's going on with us, but be aggressive when you have to be aggressive. But when it's time, when there's nothing else to do to better yourself and you, you're taking the break, you're, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's a means of bettering yourself actually is the yep. rest. A lot of people confuse rest with like laziness, but I mean, self-care rest, that's, that's part of the battle. And when you're doing that stuff, that's a perfect time to laugh, to have a good time, yep. do something fun, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I can't be like, Hey, here's the top five things you need to do to feel better. But that's one thing I love about you, man. We could just, we can kick it and throw back and forth a couple of that's what she said and just dumb stuff from <laughs> whatever movie or reference we want to talk about and just keep uh, beating my wife in video games and showing her that we're the elite fighting force. Uh, she beats, she beats me now. Almost yeah, as much actually, as she's I... getting too good. I, I'm gonna, I might like try and sabotage her and, and leave her controller just almost like empty battery. So when we fire it up, I just take her out. <laughs> well, there you go. Now you're back to planning ahead. Or replace the Malibu with just water. See if she notices. <laughs> oh, God. Or tequila. Dude, I think she'd leave me if that was the case. Yeah, tequila. Oh, my God. I can't wait till April 1st. Oh, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Hope she doesn't listen to well, this. Uh, uh, I'm sure she will. <laughs> uh, well, at least for the five minutes and she'll get bored and she'll move along. Yeah, she'll, yeah. I mean, she'll probably uh, listen to this, but like two years from now, because she's always busy and stressed and moving on to the next thing and that then, she's doing. 
Yeah, and then she'll under, then she'll realize that's how we won that night. No, man, I enjoy <laughs> I enjoy I enjoy it up there because there you know as, there's some frustrating things about the particular game that we play, and so being able to laugh and and have some levity in there helps yeah. helps, uh, helps ground it instead of not take it so seriously. Kind of like. I mean, it, 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 mine's easier than some, I'm sure. Uh, my, my, what I would call a chronic condition, although I think mine's really fairly well under under control, not completely, but nothing like it was even four years ago. I just lost my whole train of thought. That's what happens when you get old. That's all right. That's what the you're trained to train crap. You're taking many pauses as you want. I'm gonna yeah, well, get out later. And, and where I, I think where I was going with that was don't quit. Don't quit. I mean, it, you. It, it it's not always easy, but the minute and and I think you said this or I read it on one of your um, Instagram Facebook posts. It, it's okay to quit sometimes. It's okay to it's okay to to be beat to to lose. It's what you do with it. So what do you learn from that loss? What do you learn from that defeat? You get back up and you go again. Yeah. It's so so which you know the, to your name chronic victory. How do you 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 want to win? Or do you want to roll over and, and let it let it snowball you basically a leaf in the wind? Wherever it's going to take you, it's going to take you. Yeah, I'm sick and tired of telling people I have you know chronic this, chronic that, chronic fat- chronic fatigue is like a the most common that I hear. I have chronic mm-hmm. fatigue syndrome. It's like fuck. Why does chronic have to be attached with everything bad? How about chronically kicking ass after we've got our asses hand to a, handed to us, you know? Well, there you go. Let's do that go. instead because that's better than posting on Instagram why I'm so depressed and anxious and I hope everybody coddles me. What is that going to solve? I, I really, and if that's your thing, fine. I'm not going to stop people from doing what they want to do, but I, I would like to have something more that I can mold to my will and, and use it. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that, that's the whole thing. It's about, it's, it's victory. Yeah. I also like a, to separate, like a lot of this, if I do sound too aggressive sometimes, good. Cause that's gonna, I was just talking to a gal online from, I, I love Instagram really. I mean, I've connected with all these people sending me messages that I would have never found before, or just people saying like, Hey, listen to your uh, podcast is great. Like that's awesome. But somebody was talking about, you know, you're being aggressive and like, yeah, I said, yeah, I'm always going to be aggressive on here. A, because this is kind of everything that's, I mean, aside from my wife and kids, like my family, this is everything else right now for me. And second of all, if I'm not, I want to weed out, I don't want to say weed out, but this is going to filter out the people that just want to be told how, you know, everything's okay and have the hand held and me to give them the excuse and tell them, don't get me wrong. There's some people who are listeners who have some serious shit going on and maybe there's not even a maybe there's not even a solution and they already are doing everything they can and you could still listen but for the people that i don't know aren't aren't aren't, their life isn't in jeopardy at least not yet or they're at least looking for that thing and they're they're willing to put in some type of work whether it be a change of mindset take new ideas try new things where they're still figuring their new life out. This is where you want oh, to be. Yep. So David, what you are, you're an evangelist. You don't use that term, but you're an evangelist. And oh yeah, how's that? Well, because you're you're out there spreading the word. You're you're out there trying to get people to rekindle their spirit, rekindle the rekindle uh, the 
fight. Come on, let's go. Don't, it doesn't matter if it, if all you do is, is today is you sit up instead of lay down, that's a victory. I've heard yeah. you say something like that before. Exactly. If tomorrow, if tomorrow all you do is, is sit up and maybe your feet touch the floor finally, that's a victory. If the next day you do something and maybe one day you don't only get as far, you don't even get as far as you got the day before, but then the next day after that, you can get back to that point again. It's victory. At least you got up. Yes. Man, I see so many people on Instagram post pictures about, uh, you know, of them in bed with their feet up and they're just, wind is taking all the sails, life is over, right? But it's like, dude, first of all, if you're able to stand up to go pee, that's a big deal. But like if you can even move under your own power yet, like, mm-hmm. don't take that shit for granted. And then if you can actually release your bowels or your bladder under your own power, that's a big deal. And a lot of other people with chronic illness can't do that. It's all about building the foundation, those, all those little small victories. Like I, the best example I can give is after my hip surgery, you know, I have other chronic ailments and then you throw a surgery into the mix while I'm in bed for eight weeks, in bed for eight weeks. My only physical activity is taking, what is that shit? Baby aspirin. So you don't clot up. That's my workout. But if I could, you know, it was like getting to the bathroom was like a 20. I mean, my bathroom's 10, 15 feet across the hall. It's real close. But if you can, it was like 20, 30 minutes to get there. But if you could do it and you 20, 30 minutes to get back, you did it. It's a victory. Yeah. I don't even care if you grow. Like growing is great. But if you, if you don't and you can just keep kind of doing those small things, that's fine too. That's good. And it just pains me to see these people just utterly defeated from being in bed all day for a few days. And, and it's like, yeah, that's, we know that's going to happen, but you're, you're also, you're also fighting back. And these people, these people are fighting and they don't even realize it. It's like, you're, you're doing it. The it that you're searching for is what you're doing right now. You're already doing it. You're surviving. You're, you're fighting back in all these different ways. It doesn't have to be a physical battle. It's like, it's a battle of stamina. I think that's one of the things that you're being led to do here. And that's remind people of of stuff like that, that it's, you know, and maybe it's just a word of encouragement or a post you make, you know, you can, you, you can impact people's lives and never even know it in a positive way. Yeah. I actually got a message from a gal in Australia today about how I like all September, I was her go-to podcast. Boom. The day was started off on a good, on the good foot, you know? Which well, was, after she listens to this one, she might switch. Yeah, you son of a bitch. That's all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> if my listener number goes down, I'm coming for you. No. That's right. I'll just pull, <laughs> just pull podcast number 16 off the rotation. <laughs> I'm going to make people pay double for uh, podcast number 16. <laughs> now, now you're going to have to, you're going to have to pay them to listen. <laughs> Do you take IOUs? <laughs> Just get a square account, PayPal. You'll be good. Perfect. Yeah, dude, I I, I wrote something back in March after I I was having a hard time, you know, newly disabled, got forced on a disability from work before work terminated me and all that other crap that, you know, Mm. maybe I'll get more into that later on a different episode. But I wrote, um, actually, I posted it today. Is that picture of a a lion and it's like something to the effect of, And this is something I learned. I'm sure I'm not the first one to learn it, but I came to this conclusion myself that it's, it's ironically comforting the first time you realize that the only thing able to stop you is death itself naturally. 
like anybody else. So in that way, a person like me is not different from a person like my wife who doesn't have seem to ever get sick or have any type of chronic illness. Yeah. Like we're, we're all the, the mortality in essence is all the same there. I, I'm literally now at the point where the next time I go in, the next time things get bad. Okay. If it, if it gets that bad, I guess I'll fight till I'm dead. And if I'm not, then we'll just pick it back up again. And I'm going to make sure it takes a long time before, before it actually wins again. Yeah, just, yeah. just to be obnoxious, like to be annoying, like survive as long as you can't cling, like do you claw, do what you have to, to be where you want to be. And it's easy for me to say in my basement, <laughs> into my cheap Amazon microphone. But I think people can do this. I mean, I, again, you're not going to like this. This is going to suck. I, I don't like I don't like my situation. But in, a, in the long run, it's going to make you better. It's going to make you stronger. And maybe have yeah. better perspective on life, better appreciation than you would have had if you, if you didn't have a chronic ailment. Just something to consider, I suppose. Well, there's a, you know, there's a, a, a little anecdotal quip that people use all the time, but I, I believe it. It's you can't control always what happens to you, but you can control how you react to it. Yeah. And, and so I think that's the thing that a lot of people, I think a lot of people are going to listen to you. Uh, as I said, I, I believe this might be, this might. So I'm going to go back to God here for a minute through different things that go on in people's lives. God can work through them and work through other people through them. So perhaps I'm not going to speak for the man, but perhaps this is one of the things he's he through this. You're he's going to have you help other people, and I really believe that you're an an evangelist for this right here. It's that I'm going to use I'm going to use a Latin term here. Your attitude of illegitimate non carborendum. Don't let the bastards get you down. Yeah, I'm okay with that. If, if that's yeah. quite like something, something beyond me has been telling me to do this for a long time and then I I'm, was just finally in a physical and well usually physical but more of a mental mm-hmm. condition to get it started and get it going and since it since I've gotten it going it's like man I, I I hear people say and I'm one of them too that you know therapist doctor friend oh who who do you have for support like do you have a good support network that question always comes up and my answer yeah. was always no, not really. I mean, I don't. I have family in the area, but they. It, this is not like a. I, I don't know. What's a tight family on TV? Like Full House. <laughs> like, like. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't have an Uncle Jesse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some shit like that, but. Uh, yeah, it's they all have their own thing going on, and the other uh, like my grandparents are around, but they're pretty old now. I, I don't feel good about you know bothering them with all that stuff and. Uh, my wife at work, my kid, I got to be with my kids during the day. I watch, I watch one, pick the other one up from school and run her back and forth to stuff. But yeah, I mean, our friends are, uh, some of our friends are relatively young yet because we're relatively young, but they're all working. It's just, it's the way it is. So I thought finally, you know, this isn't why I made the podcast, but I also, it's, it's just a plus to that. If you don't have a support network and I, like me, I didn't. I said, all right, screw it. I'm just going to make my own and form my own team and form my own group. And that's like, if, if anybody is listening and they need somebody like add me to your support team, 
I have an email address. I'm um, right now I'm disabled. So I have a lot of time to answer and reply and just like, and I'm not talking memes and just like, Oh, hope you feel better. Like kind of, I'm talking like real support. That's yeah. yeah. You just reminded me of that. Like if somebody, if you don't have a good support system, if you do great, more power to you. But if you don't consider adding me onto your support system, send me an email. Uh, connect with me on social media like a lot of people already have which has been awesome i didn't actually know if i'd get an email on my chronic victory podcast email but i've gotten a few now it's been pretty cool excellent well i'm potentially i don't know I don't, i'm i'm saying this just because i'm uh, i'm listening and i'm orally observing can't i can't visually see but you may have started this podcast thinking it was going to be for you and it is for you it's helping you but did you go into it thinking it was going to help others or was that sort of a, a bigger surprise that the response and the response and a receptiveness you've gotten? Yeah. Um, it seems to me like you're a better interviewer than I am. Oh, give me more years and I'll have you beat old man. But I, I'm sure you will, but <laughs> I've been in a lot more bars than you have. I did a lot of interviews. Yeah, if I went to a bar now, but the medication combo I'm taking right now, one drink I'd die. It doesn't like it doesn't play well with alcohol, which I reminds me I really miss my rum. I, I know. Beer. I remember I remember listening to the glass and the ice tinkle. <sighs> Good times. No, but uh to answer your question, I it, it was kind of both. Like I, I didn't and I still don't care if I only, if I don't have any listeners. I mean, this is for me also. I mean, yeah, I wanted to do what everybody else does. I want to help people. Right. But I do like, I, I don't, I don't just say that. I don't give a shit about likes. I don't, I'm not asking for money, although money's cool, but it, it's, uh, it's to legitimately help the lost soul of the people that were out there uh, that are out there right now who are just like me and didn't, and don't have support struggling, whatever it is, it, it, there's a lot of different ways to suffer. And I don't like when well, people suffer. Well, and I know in your former profession, you saw a lot of suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw a lot. I heard a lot more actually. Um, and that, that was worse because you, you know, I think I told this before we talk about a lot of stuff. I can't remember, but like hearing it, uh, like when you see something, at least, you know, you have a picture and you can process it. Or if, as if you just hear like a child dying and, or being beaten to death, um, that's harder because mm -hmm. you're making, you're making these images in your mind. Anything, anytime somebody's telling you a story, I don't know if people realize it or not, but anytime that's happening, you're creating that picture in your mind of, of how it, everything looks, of how it actually plays out. So when you're only, I don't, you can't physically do anything about it and you just hear it that, I mean, stress, talk about stress and just physical, uh, like my, the way my body reacted, just rejected it. Think about somebody that eats like bad sushi. Like that's just, it was like that. Like I was sick. I was just stress sickness, man. Like constantly it sucked. Yeah. Well, I can't even imagine, dude, that my, my, my experience is totally different. So I didn't have to, I didn't have to see the things you saw and I'm, I'm glad I didn't. How do I think pre-kid. Me now? Yeah. Well, I mean, even then, I mean, uh, you probably like me at, at the time you compartmentalize as best you could. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, we didn't, we didn't have, you know, as the time we're recording this now, podcast number 10 hasn't come out yet. And number mm -hmm. 10, I, I literally, um, I made a recording of what my mind sounds like when I would have these anxiety attacks or panic attacks. 
And then I, mm-hmm. I, I literally confront all my biggest, darkest, you know, PTSD related things. So that's coming. But how I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm still healing from it. Doesn't really go away. But I'm working, like I, like I said, I'm seeing a therapist a few times a month, a couple different ones actually, and working through the whole PTSD thing now, which I'm not afraid to talk about anymore. A lot of times you, you feel like it, your PTSD is not legitimate, like you had to go through worse and you're starting to compare it to other people or shit that you see on TV, and that's not accurate. People have medical PTSD just from being in the hospital when they're sick. So right. pain is pain. Suffering is suffering. Doesn't matter how big or small. It, it, whatever that person's feeling, it's, it's authentic, right? Um, well, to I, your point, it's not a competition to see who's worse either. And I, I don't. Yeah. I, I hope other people are worse than me. I'm truthfully, but yeah, like the, I said, mine's relatively benign compared to what you have and what a lot of people really have. I mean, I'm not still, making it's, it, uh, it's not real. Saying that it's not real, I'm just saying that mine, the, the consequences of mine are different than the consequences of a bunch of other people. Yeah, that's accurate. If it's something that dictates the way you live, I mean, that's a, that's a commonality between all all this stuff uh, for all. Right on. I mean, that's why that's just not only why you're here. You're also pretty good looking in those photos with your mustache back in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I was a stud at one time. <laughs> I keep telling myself that. I wonder what happened. <laughs> no, man. But uh, yeah, it's we were we were basically. If you talked about it, okay, get this. If you talked about it in, in a, the departments I would work for, first of all, people would just call you a pussy and just talk shit about you. And that always sucks. Yeah. Uh, the other yeah. thing is somebody, you'd always, and I'd hear this all the time from older folks that were in the, the biz longer than I had been in, because I was still like somewhat of a kid to them. And they'd be like, well, it's not for everybody. They don't even try to get you to work through, and they've been through bad shit themselves. So it's like, why wouldn't you try to help the next generation of people that are going to take over? I could never understand that. But, but I think part of that is, um, I know for a fact that some of those people, like they just want your shift and they actually, I mean, they want you gone. They don't give a shit about you. And I always hated that. Or, or by talking about it, it brings it back up to them. They've compartmentalized it. They've shoved it down somewhere where it's manageable, quote unquote. Yeah, maybe. And talking about it touches the nerve. It's raw, still raw. They don't, yeah, and, they and don't. go figure it was all the, the older old timers that would have a drinking problem or some type of addiction. And that, I, that to me is an indicator that they weren't able to work through that stuff. Uh, it's you're right. Sad. It's it's sad. It killed the pain. It yeah. helped numb the pain. I mean, I'm 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 playing pop psychologist here on the Chronic Victory podcast, but uh, yeah, dude, it's uh the thing is is I'm I'm saying men because you and I are men and we're talking here, but it it doesn't matter who whether man or men or women, you've got to have you, you need a support network, and I don't care if you have a chronic issue or not. I believe you need to have three to five other people. In my case, I want three to five other men that I know I can go to at three o'clock in the morning. I can call at three o'clock in the morning and go, hey, can you come bail me out of jail? I mean, that's the kind of friendship I want. And I know <laughs> that these guys, these guys, and they could be gals too, but they're going to, they're going to be honest. They're going to, they're going to root for me whenever I need, uh, whenever it's time to root for me and go, go team, go. And the other times they're, they're going to go, no, no, dude, you're, you're off here and you need to pull your head out of your rectum and look at things the way they are, you know, basically recalibrate me. 
and call it call call, call me on things when I, I want that honesty from people. And unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people. I'm saying a lot of people. I don't know a lot of people that want that type of support and friendships that would be more meaningful to them. So therefore, we don't get out there and talk about the things like you know I I you and your stuff and me and my stuff and anyone else that has something that isn't talking about it because either they don't have anyone to talk about it or they're afraid of what people are going to think of them. And who cares if, I mean, I don't have what you have, but I can sit there and listen. Yeah. I mean, caring what other people think, that's one of those, that's just a distraction. That shit doesn't matter yeah. anymore. We don't have time for that. If you, I mean, that point, take the first to- step and feeling a little bit better or trying to better yourself, that's got to go away. But think back, but that's why I was going to say this a little bit earlier when you were talking about the same thing. Yeah. I tried to Batman this shit for too long, like thinking it was powerful and like cool, not not cool, but like you feel like you're being the stronger person by going it alone, right? You always see that in movies and TV. Yeah. The the renegade, like solo type kind of dude. Yeah. But no, that's, that's totally ass backwards. And then before you know it, your friend, uh, like the friends you did have that you distance yourself from aren't your friends. I mean, there's everybody's gone and you, you, now you have no idea what to do. Well, now when you look at those people though, that you go, I wish you would remember at what point in your journey through this chronic uh, condition or conditions, did you finally decide, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to roll over anymore. Was there, was it from the beginning or was it, was it at some point you went, no, I'm done being a victim now. I'm going to be a winner. Yeah. Um, yeah, honestly, I was the victim for a while. But um, I think everybody is at, fir- at first. Yep. Because they're not, I mean, if you, anytime you experience anything for the first time, you're not really going to know how to treat it, how to deal with it. And it was only after being humiliated so many times. And I say humiliated as in not like people humiliated me. It was just circumstance. It was just okay. the way the situations played out, which was humiliating. How you felt. It was, it was more how you felt. Yeah. I didn't give a shit about the, the guy who's the grown man wiping me, wiping my backside as if I'm an infant. Uh, that guy was really cool, actually. Yeah, talked to me a lot. Yeah, I cared about like, like, why am I wasting so much time and energy on this shit that doesn't even matter? I, I know people yeah. who, won't, who won't even take their shirt off. Out, and they're like decent looking people, right? I mean, there's nothing, you know, they're not morbidly obese. And if they are, who gives a shit? But uh, they're afraid to take their shirt off like outside and uh, if they're out for a walk in their own neighborhood or something. Oh, you can't like it's, it's, it's frowned upon. Fuck that, man. Like, that's just an imaginary. I mean, it's all in your head. And Mostly, I, would, I don't want to scare anyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been so wrapped up around these things that, you know, you hear somebody gossip, you hear negativity. That's all just noise and distractions. And no, that's the shit that tries to stop you and hold you back. I'll tell you where I ran into that and, and it, it recalibrated me was when I was running the pool here, the park district, the, the people that would come in there you know, you'd have, you'd have the, those that were the, you know, the really good swimmers that were toned, the athletes that would come in there. And then you'd have these people that were just beyond morbidly obese. And I'll tell you all, I, I didn't look at them and go, wow, why are you, what, dude, why are you, I looked at them as, hey, at least you're doing something. Yeah. You're doing that water walking. You're not. Yeah, you're in there. Water, the that's right, water walking, aerobics. It, it doesn't matter if all you do is go in the kiddie pool and kick your legs. Yeah, you're, you're getting after something. it. 
You're doing the thing. That's right. And right. that's fighting, man. That's actively fighting back. And that's there's victory in just the act of doing something. That's what that's the whole thing I'm trying to push is that you don't have to you don't beat the chronic illness. You just you just actively fight it and you and you learn how to fight it better. That's you winning. You're doing it. You're doing the thing. It makes perfect sense. Action of any kind is better than inaction. Yeah. And I I said before I think in like the first podcast is like you don't you don't need to know the right thing to do or the right action to take it's just do something like in law enforcement if if there's it was an incident you don't just not act you do something and it might not be the best decision but it, it for you i mean it was at the moment as long as you were able to make a decision that was the most important part to see if somebody could pass training especially is like could you make a decision and were you able to think during so-and-so incident and if you couldn't if you froze up that's death that i mean that's you're not first of all you don't pass training and also complacency kills literally you could die yep. if you just don't yep. do anything and 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 that that translates to life too and just our situation anybody's situation really right certain levels of experience when a, when a guy got to 500 hours got to a thousand hours of flying got to 1500 to, it's like almost every 500 hours not quite i'm i'm sort of rounding here but they get this air, air of in, invincibility and then they become more complacent mm. they're not as scared anymore and i don't mean petrified fear but that's whenever a- accidents typically occur in those time frames when they reach the certain amount of experience that now they think oh i got this wired now i don't I don't have to put as much into the planning for it or the, I don't have to think about it. I, I can just show up and go. I'm yeah. sure that's in any, in any profession like law enforcement, first responder type, military, uh, you know, pick anything where it's um, inherent. There's an inherent danger more so than a lot of other career paths that one can take. Yeah. Any, any time in school when we were going through the program that we had to watch these videos of, these cops getting ambushed and or killed, which was hard to watch. Yeah. It's, it's, it was usually these, these veteran guys that just figured, you know, they got their ballistic vests, they're impenetrable. They've been doing it for so long. A simple traffic stop. It's not going to stop me. And then they stopped the wrong person and boom, it's over. Yep. It's, yep. It exactly. sucks. I mean, I don't, and I even, I haven't gotten there yet. I want to, and I don't really want to get there. The whole idea um, of getting to the top, I don't like that because what's at the top then? Say you make it to the top. is Are you going to be complacent then? I think so. Like I'm, I don't know that I would push it. Like what, what's your drive then? If you got all the things, if you're say like best case scenario, you got to make three wishes, you're fully healed, you're super rich, you have all these things. But then what? Well, one of my wishes is to be able to have a wish when I want it. <laughs> I want three more wishes. <laughs> I want I want an endless number of wishes, world peace, and an end to hunger. Uh, no, you're, well, uh, so I think to answer your question, when you reach the top, when you're when you're quote unquote the best, I always believe there's going to be someone better than you. But the drive for at least for a while is all right. What do I have to do to keep someone from taking this from me? How do I, you know, like I'll go to the boxing. You're the world champ. Well, how long can I stay the world champ? How long can I stay undefeated? Everyone else out there wants that title too. They and and they think they're the ones that are going to unseat you from it. You keep working. You keep pushing yourself so that they can't get to you. And then yeah. and then if you're smart, you retire before you lose. <laughs> yeah. 
I want my listeners to be hungry though. I, I mean, it's my, my concept is it's about the hunt. It's about pushing. It's about the struggle growing through the struggle and never because you, me, I don't know, most, most of the people listening who have a chronic illness or, or something to that effect, or, or even not are the top is not an option. So we can, we can take that out of the equation. So either we get steamrolled by what's going on and everything thrown at us, thrown at us and we roll down this, let's call it a hill and, we, and we're at the bottom or we just keep pushing on. We just keep hunting. We keep fighting and, and learning from it. I think, I think to be in a constant state of that is acceptable and actually fulfilling. Well, you're going to, like I said, you're evangelizing this. And, and I think whether it's one person if all you ever do is help one person, I know you're helping more than just because of what you said to people that have contacted you. But if all you ever do is help one person, you help more people than you would have if you hadn't started doing this. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I, I mean, I didn't think of it in that simple of a way. But that's well, yeah, that was the mindset. Like, yeah. if I can, <laughs> if I can reach, if I can have ten listeners by in a year, like that would be cool. I think I've already surpassed that, which is awesome. I mean, look, if anyone leaves a comment and wants to meet me, well, okay. but just Yeah, we're going to advertise the Cobalt Group <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, for a sponsor, we'll uh, not, partner of the show. There you go. Podcast okay. number 16 brought to you by the Cobalt Group. 16 got more more views than any other show. <laughs> it had one view. <laughs> no, dude, you're, you're, you're evangelizing here, man. And I, I think you're going to do things that you don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know what the plan for you is. Um, time will tell and, and um and being open for it but i mean you you said you just felt this calling urge whatever word you want to use that you wanted you should do this podcast yeah and would that have ever i mean would that thought have come to you a year ago no i didn't i didn't even know if i was going to live uh even back six months ago the way things were so yeah okay so so we're talking about christmas january february time frame oh yeah year. yep yeah that was a rough yeah. time well, but you're fighting, you're setting the example in evangelizing, dude. So, you know, I'm proud yeah, of you. Anybody that wants, thanks, dude. Anybody that wants to hop on this path with me is, is more than welcome. I'll, I'll walk with you on it. I mean, I'm, I'm always good to listen. Awesome. Uh, and of course, the good we, thing is I, oh. I can have a drink while I tell you too, so I can kill, <laughs> I kill the listening to you. <laughs> Just don't let me yeah. hear it. I'll get jealous. <laughs> well I'll, I'll text i'll text your wife and tell her to, to hey pour a drink make him make, make him jealous you text me i'll i'll, I'll be your messenger you'll be texting my wife right. <laughs> shady old man <laughs> yeah yeah that's, hey that'll be my new uh profile shady shady old man <laughs> I like that cool man i'll cut it in just a second but hey thanks for coming on i really appreciate all the insight and you're welcome on here anytime dude Dude, it was my pleasure. It was my honor. And, and hopefully uh, what you're doing here is going to help someone or more than more than one person. And, it, and at the same time, I'm, I'm hoping that it's cathartic, therapeutic, whatever word I'm looking for, for you as well. And, you know, I, you know, I, I love you like a brother and I, I'm rooting and praying only for the best for you and the family. Thanks, man. Much appreciated. Good talking to you. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you heard something that inspired you and that you continue to tune in. Feel free to reach out to me on social media or by email. Also, if you're in a position to donate, I have a Patreon account set up to support this podcast and the community behind it. Whatever you're going through and whatever your situation is, stay in the fight.